This is the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast. I got that property for $50,000. I don't even know if you can imagine. Uh, ultimately, we, we sold that property for just under $300,000. Um, wow. but, but my first investment was the, the, you know, one of the best investments I've made. You're listening to the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast, where we discuss tangible tips, tricks, and best practices for becoming financially free. The show is designed for people who want to either start real estate investing or for those who want to scale their real estate business. What's going on, everyone? This is Jonathan Farber, your host of the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast. I hope you're all well and healthy. For any first-time listeners, thanks for being here. The goal of this show is to explore ways to become financially free through real estate or to increase passive cash flow through real estate. A little background on myself, I work in corporate America at a software company and my side hustle is real estate. I currently own eight rental units and looking to add more this spring. I have house hacked, bird, flipped, and done short-term rentals to name a few strategies. My current focus is 20 to 30 unit apartment buildings in Ohio and Kentucky. I love to network and learn. So if you'd like to connect further, feel free to find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, or BiggerPockets. Today, we have another amazing guest, a little bit of a different episode. For those that are not too familiar with Amanda Han, she has an amazing story as far as tax strategy and becoming smarter with your real estate investing through um, tax codes, tax strategy, how you can become more efficient or effective. And uh, she goes into a lot of different strategies that she's used or strategies she sees investors use that uh, could save you money or basically help you from losing money. But uh, really interesting there. She's from Orange County, California. She is an investor and a CPA. She does specialize in specific strategies uh, tailored to real estate investors and yeah, this episode was just really informative for someone that's looking to scale a business uh, in real estate and hearing a lot of different conflicting advice or information that may be different for everyone's situation. So there is advice that may be more unique for you. And we delve into that as far as how you find that advice. So the two things that stood out from today's episode were, first, she has a really interesting story of investing in a passive syndication where it actually did not go well. Uh, I appreciated her sharing that, but she then has a great learning of how she goes into finding better syndicators to invest with or finding better people to invest with in general and how you guys can do the same if you're considering investing passively with someone or investing money in just a friend or family member. The second thing was what steps an investor should take who's considering getting help from a CPA. Uh, she identifies the three reasons why she thinks most people choose not to actively get help from a CPA or someone that can help with their finances and talks through the scenarios of why or how someone can do that or should do that in a very easy, low cost manner that can save you hundreds, thousands, or maybe even hundreds of thousands of dollars, depending on how big your business is. So really interesting stuff there. Today's tangible tip is sending updates on your life and value to people. Uh, what does that actually mean? It's kind of counterintuitive, but most people that you talk to, they have no idea what you're trying to do or thinking about doing. And maybe they can help you, maybe they can't, but they definitely can if they don't know what you're doing. So once you know what you want, it doesn't hurt telling as many people as you can. They never, you never know who they, they know or is in their network or they know on Facebook or LinkedIn, or they see something and then they can think of you. Uh, the other thing is just always trying to add value to those people. If it's something that you come across that you think could help them, make it a two-way street. And that's something that I've 
been amazed with the results of over the last year, just having this active methodology of, okay, what am I thinking about right now that I need and I'm looking for? Okay, great. So if I put that out in the world and people start hearing that, there's a better chance than if I didn't, it'll come back to me or someone that I know has something like that going in their circle. The same thing though, if you encourage other people around you, what's new? What are you looking for? What can I help you with? When you hear that thing out there, you can bring it back to them and it just kind of closes the loop. It helps you become more of a value-add person that you maybe never thought to do before and you can connect a dot. That's how business starts, guys. That's like one of the easiest ways I have found the best networkers, the best brand builders to get ahead in building a business when they have a need, someone brings them something to fill that need or vice versa. They hear of someone else having a need and then they can go out of their way to bring that person value. That's how you create a relationship. So it's an easy one. It's a little bit intangible, but uh, it's something you can work on actively and just start thinking about changing your mindset with. So it's really helped me. Hope it helps you. Without any further ado, awesome episode, episode today with Amanda Hahn. All right, Amanda, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, me too. Me too. How are things going out in, uh, in LA? We were just talking a little uh, before just about state of COVID and all that. New York is highly impacted, but what's, uh, what's new with you? Your day-to-day impacted much or not so much at all? Yeah, I mean, things are definitely different, just kind of from, more from a personal perspective, you know, not being able to go out as, as freely, I guess, and, and um, you know, just kind of recreational fun things, a lot less. Um, but uh, work-wise, it's been pretty similar to before. Uh, I think uh, our whole firm had a pretty easy transition to everybody working from home because we have clients um, that invest in real estate all, the, all over the U.S. So I, I think more than half of our clients were remote anyway. So we usually do our meetings like, like this, like you and I, where we're on Zoom or go to meetings. So every, you know, work-wise, everything is still the same. But yeah, personally, you know, it's funny, we did a, a we had a team happy hour for our firm yesterday, which is kind of sad. You know, usually we, we give everybody drinks, but it's kind of like BYOB to your desk and sit around and, you know, so I ask people like, what are you guys doing for fun? And um, uh, that was kind of a short conversation because no one was doing anything really. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm hearing that and I'm hearing a lot of, uh, parents that are hanging out with their kids for longer periods than they've ever been used to. So oh, yeah. uh, a lot of that happening. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm fortunate that uh, my mom lives with us. So she helps to watch the kids. But even this morning, you know, before getting ready for this, I was like, man, I need to leave my kids. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where I'm going, but just somewhere with no kids <laughs> just in the car. <laughs> Just a little escape. That's hilarious. So this is my escape, actually, being on this podcast. <laughs> well, happy to uh, give you a little bit of shelter in place. So uh, all good. Well, thank you so much again for coming on. I was excited to dig into your story. Uh, we'll get into a lot of the stuff that you've done, but you've written books for Bigger Pockets. You've been on the podcast. You're very active in the community um, and just become a thought leader in the space as far as accounting and financials in the real estate community. And I think there's uh, you probably see it more than anyone. There's probably a lot of bad information. There's some decent information. And then there's probably a lot of information that's just what I'd say is the biggest bucket. It's just untailored for people's individual situation. You know, they're reading something that is a different part of the country and not their demographic and not their business model. And they're trying to apply it to what they're doing. And that's why I think sometimes that that disconnect happens. So really excited to dig into your strategy and what you're seeing out there. Um, for those that don't know or haven't checked out your stuff, but they better do it after this episode. Do you mind just giving a quick background on who you are, how you got involved in all this and kind of bring us up to speed on where you're at today? 
Yeah, sure, sure. So I, uh, well, you know, I kind of, uh, uh, my story is interesting. So I'm actually a third generation of real estate investors in my family. So my grandparents invested in real estate, my parents invested in real estate. Uh, and then I was taught to not invest in real estate. I, I was taught to, you know, go to school, get a degree, get a really good job, you know, have a stable job, which is kind of what I did. You know, I got my license um, to be a CPA and I started working in one of the big four um, firms at Deloitte back in the days. And I just just happened to be uh, ended up in the real estate group um that's where I kind of was, was assigned. And so through there, I, I worked mostly with larger real estate companies. Um, and that's kind of where I, how I saw the way that tax law worked in school. I, I learned a lot about taxes, but not anything, you know, um, fun or, or strategic, right? Just the rules and more rules. And so working at Deloitte in the real estate group was when I started to realize like the strategies and how they work. And, um, but you know, for me, I, I just, I never had, I never felt a connection to the clients, uh, that I was working with in those big firms. Cause they're just, you know, large public companies where, you know, I, maybe I'll talk to like an accounting manager or a CFO would be the biggest. And when you're saving money, it's, it's not really for them, you know, or their family. So, um, so my husband, Matt and I just thought, you know, we, we these are great strategies that a lot of regular people don't know about. And, and so that's when we set out to say, well, let's start our own firm. We'll bring these similar strategies, but like you said, tailor it, simplify it, uh, tweak it a little bit so that the, you know, the everyday investor could use it to help reduce their taxes. So it's kind of how we got started. Um, you know, we've been investing in real estate for many years as well. Um, but mostly as passive investors. So we have, you know, long-term hold properties. We invested in a couple syndications. Um, we have clients that do all kinds of real estate from, you know, rentals to flips to uh, Airbnb, rental arbitrage. Uh, but, 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 you know, Matt and I, we're more boring. We, we just kind of have the long-term holds. Uh, although I would be interested in doing something, you know, a little bit more uh, mm -hmm. exciting down the road. Well, I mean, it's, it's cool to see what you're doing and you're getting that, I'd say, other side of the table view of so many real estate investing strategies. So I, I, my guess would be that when you do invest, you kind of cultivate and you curate all these different strategies that you see from people where they've done well, where they haven't done well, that most people probably don't have that lens to see investing through. So I'm curious, is that kind of how you pick and choose where you might want to invest? Yeah, that's so great. So that's actually one of the reasons too, that we decided to go out on our own and work with other investors kind of along where at the level where we are, so we can see what other people are doing um, and kind of learn from there. So yes, that's an added perk that we have of being able to see, you know, if people are doing Airbnb, where, what are they doing that's making it more successful than someone else. And uh, I really try to share that with our clients, you know, so I'll have maybe one client who's saying, hey, man, I'm interested in Airbnb, but I have a full-time job. How, I mean, I don't even know how I could make that work. And then I could share a story with, well, okay, here's my other client who did the same exact thing and they were able to create a system, create the same cleaning crews. Um, so just being able to share that kind of, like you said, this unique insight that I'm able to see uh, into what investors are doing that's working. So yeah, very fortunate sure. to have that insight. <laughs> 100%. And yeah, it's, it's cool to see, like, it's cool to see you put it into play. But also, I think a lot of people may actually have more opportunity to pick up on things than they think. Like, even I know so many realtors that aren't investors. And I always ask why you're around the product so often you're seeing the property managers, the asset types, the investors, like, 
you have all the pieces, but you're not doing that much with it. it whatever people it's, it's different life circumstance, but it's just cool to hear someone that you were seeing all these strategies and then you were putting some into practice and you're picking and choosing what you want to do. So what exactly happened when you quote unquote left corporate America and started setting out on your own path for your own business and your real estate investing? Uh, well, what happened was something actually really scary. <laughs> so when we, when we decided to leave, you know, uh, Matt and I, we made, we made a decision to leave because we wanted to invest in real estate. So we, we, you know, it was okay. We want to invest in real estate. We know the strategies. Here's something we can bring to the table to help other investors. Um, and kind of in exchange, like you said, get insight into what people are actually doing. Uh, but actually that occurred at a time when real estate wasn't very hot. And so, um, you know, people, the economy was not so good. Uh, real estate bubble popped. So it's kind of like, wow, that's not a good time because investors aren't making money. People are, you know, having foreclosures and stuff. Um, but it worked out well because I think we just kind of stuck to our guns. It, you know, it's, I think starting out took us a little bit longer than we had anticipated. Um, in fact, the, the joke was we, when we left corporate America, it took us maybe about a year and a half to two years before we were making the same amount of money that we were at our job. Um, again, you know, just simply because of our timing, <laughs> it was not the best timing. Um, but, you know, I think we, we kind of stuck to our guns that that's what we're going to do. We're not going to branch out and start working with, you know, restaurants or, you know, online companies. We were just going to be doing real estate. That was our passion. That's what we know. Mm -hmm. And I think it's paid off in the long run. You know, obviously, you know, we're saying real estate has not only come back, but come back so much from where it was. Um, now, today, that's a you know, different conversation in the middle of coronavirus. But uh, I do think it's such a strong asset class that, um, you know, it's something that, that will, you know, is a lot more stable compared to other investment options. Sure. So. Makes total sense. So, I mean, I'm hearing you say one, a year and a half to two years to replace your income. That to me sounds pretty good and pretty short, actually. I mean, it sounds like maybe you had a little bit more of an ambitious goal at the beginning that you thought it might be sooner. <laughs> but I think there's a lot of people listening to this right now thinking, boy, if I could leave my job and be even close to what I'm making now in two years, even five years, I'd be, I'd be pretty happy. I, I talked to more investors that are happy if they could get to 50%. So what actually were the, the tactical steps and the actions that you took when you left to then start replacing that income and building your business? Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, you know, the main thing is for us is to um, be specialized in our service, focus in on a particular market. And for us, like I said, it's, it was real estate. So I think most CPAs who start out is, you know, they'll just take any, you know, any and all clients, right? You know, marketing, I'll, I'll, work, I'll work with whoever. And for us, we were able to say, okay, well, we're going to specialize in real estate. We want to become the experts in real estate. So we spend a lot of time uh, learning and taking continuing education about real estate. We started teaching real estate. You know, we're talking earlier about some of the people you and I both know uh, back in the days, just kind of, you know, getting to know more of the, the, um, people in real estate, what they're doing and kind of fulfill that need. Like I said, the real estate investors are some of the most creative people I've ever met. Um, you know, just in kind of how people structure deals and the way they think. And, um, so just kind of, you know, understanding the ins and outs of real estate and the, the learning the lingo. I think that was very, very important. Um, but you know, for us, it didn't feel like a job. 
because it was something that we wanted to do. We wanted to start real estate investing. Uh, you know, back then we weren't personally investing yet. And so it was, uh, you know, we felt like, hey, this is great. We're learning and we're also getting paid to teach people what we know and learn from mm -hmm. them what we don't know. Uh, so I think that's been, you know, something that's really helped us and, and something, you know, we still continue to do. Because um, I think, you you know, I mean, taxes, investing, there's, there's so much to learn. Right. <laughs> you never right. stop learning. 100%. And as you do more, I'd say the challenges get bigger, they get more complex. And as you add more property, probably more benefit that you can find, but you need the right people to do that. So uh, just for, I guess, context, when you first jumped in, were you building the business around helping investors more? Or were you building the business of actual real estate investing more for yourselves? Uh, it was both. both. At the same time? Yeah, okay. it was actually both. We said, you know, this is such a great way because our expertise is in real estate taxation and the planning. And personally, we want to invest in real estate, right? So kind of merging the both worlds so we can get the best. And, um, you know, we, we do also invest with some of our clients as well. Um, because why not? You know, for me, I'd rather invest in someone that I know the numbers, I know what they're doing rather than just, you know, meeting someone I don't know um, mm -hmm. and kind of taking a chance on something like that. So, yeah, I was actually both, which because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very fortunate. But what I tell some um, kind of more newer investors or people getting into real real estate is always ask yourself, what can I bring to the table? You know, you might not be a CPA, but maybe you're really good at negotiations. Or if you don't have, you know, if you don't have money, maybe you're really good at deal analysis, right? So there's always something you can bring to the table um, to make up for what you're lacking, which could be experience, could be money, you know, whatever that happens to be. 100%. There's always some part of real estate or business in general that someone doesn't like doing and someone has to do. It doesn't matter what part it is. And like learning how to analyze a deal. I tell people this all the time. Um, and people ask all the time, like, how do I find a mentor? Well, there's like, there's many easy ways. If you just look at your own life, what do you not like doing? If you do that for someone else, it'll probably be a benefit to them. And analyzing a deal is so simple. Once you learn how to do it, that everyone that is a real estate investor, they have to analyze deals if they don't have someone to do it themselves. So I really like that point. So um, just as you started getting into things a little bit more and developing the business of investing and then also clients, um, what was your first investment? How'd you find it? How'd you finance it? What did it look like? Yeah. So uh, I grew up in Las Vegas originally um, and I went to school at UNLV. Uh, and then I, you know, uh, after school, I came to California to start kind of my accounting career. So my first investment property was actually uh, in Las Vegas. So my mom was living there at the time. I had a really good uh, friend from high school who was a realtor, uh, who also did real estate investing. So, um, you know, so, so we're kind of, you know, just kind of been talking about what my goals were, what type of property we were looking for. Um, and so, yeah, it was, that was kind of our, my very first property that Matt and I invested in. It was kind of a maybe B minus C neighborhood, you know, not the best neighborhood in Vegas, um, but we knew that was kind of a good rental area. Uh, and so, in fact, uh, I got that property for $50,000. I don't even know if you can imagine. Uh, ultimately, we, we sold that property for just under $300,000. Um, wow. but, but my first investment was the the, you know, one of the best investments I've made just in terms mm. of, you know, what that property did. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do recall it was super scary. I'll tell you uh, when I, 
signed on the purchase agreement, um, I thought my heart was going to jump out of my body. It's kind of like, am I doing the right thing? Am I ready to invest? Is this really crazy? Um, but, you know, I think it's just kind of with anything, practice makes perfect, right? The more you do it, uh, it you know, kind of becomes more second nature. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, that first step, you know, was, it, it was scary. It's kind of like leaving a job or, you know, some major life decision, like, Am I yeah. ready to be a landlord? <laughs> 100%. I, I just talked about this. Uh, uh, I don't remember with who, but it was about specifically the second you get that deal offer accepted or the second you actually get that property inked and in your name, all the questions come in like, this is what I thought I wanted, but now is it, did I get it because no one else wanted it? Did I make a mistake? By <laughs> yeah. Was I the, the, the highest bidder because I'm just the biggest chump? Like all but, that, that self-talk comes in. But I'm really glad you said that because I think the difference and you hear this, the cliches and Instagram posts, whatever, it's the people that really just keep pushing forward. Everyone has the doubt. Everyone has that first deal or that first thing that they didn't feel good about, but you just prevail and you course correct along the way. And it sounds like that's what you did to find that first deal and get it done. So was that, it sounds like uh, I liked, I liked your background of the, the deal of how you found it. It sounds like you had a little bit of boots on the ground in place in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. You went there, you're familiar with the area. Um, was it a MLS deal? Was it an off-market deal? Um, either or, either of those? Yeah, it was just an MLS deal. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I hear you're saying like, when you buy something, you're like, am, what, am I the only one buying? Well, how did I get it, right? Me of all people. I mean, right. what? something must be wrong. It was interesting. It's not like today's market where, um, you know, it's essentially a seller's market back at that time when we bought the first property, like I said, it was kind of when the market crashed, we left our job, you know, kind of on our own. We didn't really have a paycheck. If all of our clients decided to leave us, that was going to be it. And then here we're going to buy a rental property. Um, but it was, you know, it was a time when there were not a lot of offers on the property. That property was actually listed for 70,000 and we got it for under asking. Um, but you know, it's the same thought process of, is that right? Why is no one else buying this? Am, am I actually overpaying? <laughs> yes, exactly. But in hindsight, I wish I would have bought 20 or 30 of those, right? <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm, 100%. Yeah. It makes total sense. Um, so you said you sold that property, but I guess from there you did that first one. Sounds like that was probably your first exposure to it. Probably learned a ton uh, put systems in place. What happened next? Did you start acquiring more deals or were you stabilizing that one or? Yeah, I mean, one? yeah. So that property was pretty turnkey. It wasn't like a bird transaction or anything, um, you know, from there. So a, a lot of the more involved uh, properties that we invest in uh, or, you know, over the, over, over the years that we've done have been in Las Vegas, just because, you know, again, that's kind of where I have my, my little network of people that's been working with me. I know that market area. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, the, subsequently the, the properties we've purchased, you know, whether single family, duplex, condos have been fairly easy because um, you know, I'm a CPA. So for me, it's all about the numbers. Um, I don't, gen I think most of the properties we purchased, even though I could easily, you know, between, uh, California or you know Orange County and Vegas, it's only a four hour drive. I could easily drive there and look at all the properties. I really don't view uh, most of the properties that I've purchased. Um, and I think it's going to be different. I'm not saying that all investors should do this, but you know, in, in Vegas, a lot of the properties I bought were still fairly new. They're not the super old ones with a lot of problems. And so that was one of the things is, hey, if the numbers made sense, I know the area, I know what the rents are going to be, um, then we would just purchase it, you know, if financially it made sense. So, um, yes. I've, 
I've also invested in a couple syndications and other people's deals, um, you know, a couple apartments in Texas, um, uh, had a deal that was really bad that I did where I lost quite a bit of my uh, money in my retirement account because I use a self-directed account. Uh, but like you said, it's lessons learned, you know, not every deal is going to be perfect. And, um, but what I learned from that is, you know, when you invest in other people's deals, you have to make sure you do due diligence and research and kind of make sure that other person has good experience um, because that's who's going to be in charge of your money. <laughs> you mm -hmm. can't really make a lot of decisions as a passive investor. Sure. Yeah. And I'm glad you said that one, because I think a lot of people, they, they try to hide their, their learnings or their losses from a standpoint of that is where you can learn the most. And there's probably a ton that you took from that. At the same time though, I also, I asked myself the same question if I had a deal go wrong or just any failure, what can be learned from and reflected on from it. But a lot of times, you know, I, I look back and think to myself, I didn't know what I didn't know. So it was hard for me. It would have been hard for me at the time to ask questions or dig into stuff that I would have just had no idea to look for. So it makes me think like I'm, I'm beating myself up, but maybe at the time I really was doing the most I could with the information I had. I'm sure you've analyzed that situation a lot. And a lot of people, we've had syndicators on who talk about, you know, an easy way to maybe get involved in real estate passively is investing in a syndication passively, which it sounds like you did. Um, I'm sure you've analyzed that situation many times, what you may have been able to do differently, maybe what you couldn't have done differently. Any advice for someone out there that's considering investing or starting with passive syndication and what you learned or what you think you could have actually done versus not done in that situation? Yeah, definitely. So I'll tell you that the first indication I invested in was a guy was with a guy that we met and I met. We were at a business conference learning to how to grow our CPA practice, but it was also um, focused towards real estate. So a lot of real estate investors there learning how to grow and scale their syndication or apartment investing business. So we met this guy who's really, really nice. Uh, and, um, you know, he was starting, so he's done some real estate, not a whole lot. He decided to syndicate uh, and, you know, kind of take his business to the next level. And we thought, oh, okay, this is great. We're going to try to uh, invest with him because he's so nice. And, <laughs> and so later on, we found out that because it was his first deal into multifamily, he didn't know a lot about financing. And so a lot of the money that was raised was to subsidize his living because he quit his job to do this full time. So what I tell people is, you know, if you're going to invest in someone with syndication, um, you need to really know the syndicator. You want to know their experience. How have they dealt with investors? How are they paid to live, right? Is, are, do they have some way that they're living or is it strictly on the money you're giving them? Are you giving mm -hmm. them money to live off of? Are you giving them money to invest in? because those are things I, I wish I had known. But like you said, I didn't know. I didn't know to ask. Uh, I had, you know, um, one or two by then single families of my own. I didn't really understand the whole commercial space. So mm -hmm. um, people wanting to invest in syndications, I think, you know, again, the, the main things are the experience of the syndicator um, and also just kind of, you know, their, their professionalism, their background. So if you're wanting to invest, I always say, okay, well, what's the name of the syndicator, John Smith? Just type in Google search, John Smith and fraud, John Smith and complaints, right? Those are the things you want to know. Have mm -hmm. they been in trouble? Are other investors unhappy with them? Because um, that's, you know, that's kind of a basic level of due diligence, at least to say, how are they doing? When you're looking at a single family or just a rental property of your own, you just research on the property. But when you're investing in syndication, um, you're, you're really looking at the syndicator. How are they doing? What's their past performance? 
Mm-hmm. That's such good advice. Uh, like, and, and what I also found at the beginning of my investing career was uh, I, I wanted, I'm a people pleaser also. I didn't want to be sometimes asking hard questions that would yield a maybe hard response. So mm-hmm. I would find myself in that. And, and a lot of people would say the same, but I, I just own up to it. I would, I would take the easier path or the path of maybe less friction and yeah. not ask a question that I maybe didn't want to hear the answer to <laughs> if it was a bad answer. You know, in that case, you know, the same thing, I, even like with partners, um, it's a harder conversation and sometimes it's blunt or direct or it's not perceived as being, you know, really friendly or charismatic, but there's sometimes when you just, you need answers and you need to feel comfortable about what you're doing. And only then can you feel like you vetted the person enough to actually invest. So I'm sure for, for you, that's like a big one now that if you're investing with someone, one, now it sounds like you have a better, a better process for understanding their background, but you know what questions to ask and you know how to vet that person a little bit better on the back end and then probably when you're talking to them directly. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, we, we do have clients who um, look into partnering with other investors. So the one thing I always tell people is you think of a partnership as almost like a marriage, right? If you and I decide to do a partnership and invest together, we're almost, we're kind of, we have a, a, a marriage business, if you will. We will have to agree on what are we going to buy? Are we going to refinance? Who's going to be our property manager? Uh, and one of the main things, how are we going to exit the property? Maybe I want to differ my tax and do a 1031 exchange. But if you don't, and we're in this partnership together, then that could be a problem. Um, and, you know, if we decide, okay, we want to use this strategy and then you don't want to use this tax strategy, uh, you know, again, we have a problem because we are in this partnership together and we have to make all the same decisions. So mm-hmm. partnerships can work out really well um, or it could end, you know, maybe long-term <laughs> friendships, right, that you've had for you. It's like, wow, I didn't even know how, how, how bad you were until we started doing business together, right? <laughs> right, right. Hearing you say that, it just reiterates the point that you made earlier about um, doing your first syndication, passive investing, and, and not asking some questions that maybe you would have been able to ask. And it really, just hearing you say that, especially something like a 1031, if two buddies um, get together and they do an investment, they may have no clue what their investment exit strategy would be because one, they don't know to think that way, or two, they've never heard of a 1031, and then maybe one hears about it. And so it just actually, now hearing you say that, the first thought I had, and you hear this time and time again, and I've skimped on it, and now I've gotten wiser on it, but a lot of people skimp on it, is consulting with a professional. Consulting with someone who can get you the base knowledge of what the questions are that you should be asking each other, and you should be aware of that you wouldn't be able to plant in your head from scratch. So that's like, I'm sure you, you could probably talk to that a little bit about people that are entering a partnership or trying to evaluate what strategy to do maybe it's really, it's a wise choice to meet with someone, even if it's a couple of dollars on the front end. So you know what the strategy can be and you can work through that. Yeah. And you know, that works in a partnership as well as just for any individual investor, you know? So for me, when I look at a deal, um, I always ask myself, what is going to be the exit strategy and also what's the worst case scenario, right? So for me, most of my properties are long-term rental. So I want to know, well, if, Worst case scenario, there are no tenants for X number of months. What's going to happen? What is the, you know, what's, what's the, the likely uh, path that I would take? And so it's always important to know because, you know, we all have, an, we all have to have an exit strategy at some point. Um, 
it doesn't necessarily mean sell, right? Exit strategy could just mean refinance because I'm going to pull money out, or it could mean I'm going to die with the property in my name. Uh, that is still an exit nonetheless, right? <laughs> just, you've exited the real estate. <laughs> Um, but you're right. People don't think about that. Just like when people are dating or they're getting married, they don't think about, you know, you don't, you don't generally come up with a list of uh, kind of like a prenup, right? Here's all the, the 10 things you, sh- you should not be doing. I don't want you to be doing. You don't want me to be doing. But from a business perspective, it, you know, it is important, right? What are you going to do? Are you, um, I'll be the finance, the accounting. Uh, you're going to deal with the property management and the loans. Uh, so we have understanding what we're going to do uh, instead of kind of a, a pointing of the fingers like, oh, I thought you were going to do that or I was going to do that. Um, what I tend to see is when things are well, you know, when the deals are, are, are good and uh, cash flow is coming in, everyone's happy, no problems. Uh, when tenants are not paying, you and I need to put more money into the partnership, that's where the problems come up, right? Like I already put money in, now it's your turn. So those are things you want to know up front before you get into that partnership with your friend. That's really good advice, especially for beginners that are looking to partner with people and they may not know what to ask for. They may not even know what the other person brings to the table or what type of view they have on investing or don't have. So with that said, I'm really curious to hear your advice on when or what someone should do if they're a beginner investor. Maybe they have a couple rentals right now. A lot of our audience is, let's say, two to 10 rentals right now. Um, I would say they're doing it very organically and they're doing it somewhat creatively, but they've maybe never uh, d- decided to consult with a CPA or even like a, a real estate lawyer or just certain parts of the business that they could probably get a little savvier with. What's your advice to a beginner investor as far as sitting down and meeting with a CPA or someone that understands real estate financials to maybe get their business a little bit more operationally efficient or prevent making mistakes? Yeah. I mean, I think for beginner investors are the best time to do planning, okay? Because you maybe have just a handful of properties, maybe no um, entity structure yet. Uh, That is the best time to plan because it's kind of like a blank slate. You can say, okay, well, you know, we have nothing yet. Let's put everything in the, in the, in the right structure and, you know, tracking the right expenses. Um, If you don't, uh, what I've, I don't want to say often, but I some what I sometimes see is people get bad advice, like you and I were talking about earlier. And they so so someone has a, a, a one size fits all, like let's form three entities and you know put this here and put that there, and so that time goes on for five years or ten years, and now your property's gone up in value. Oftentimes, there's this hidden tax bomb within the entity that you're not using correctly, where it gets very uh, costly and expensive to fix. I'm currently working with two clients who are uh, much older, like, you know, in their uh, 50s and 60s, that's had bad structures, and they have a lot of wealth built up in the real estate. Um, And it's going to take us several years just to slowly unwind things, because it's very costly to take a tax hit based on how they've kind of maybe held property in the wrong entities and things like that. So a question I get often is, you know, how much money should I make before I hire a CPA or hire an attorney? And what I always tell people is it's not about the dollar amount of money you make from a tax perspective, at least it's about the transactions. So you can be someone who's working a W2 job, making a million dollars, but if you're not interested in real estate, you're not interested in anything besides just that W2 job, 
and then spending the money you're making, then you're not a candidate for tax planning because there's not too much we can do. You just have a W-2 job and you're probably just going to pay taxes and that's going to be it. But if you're someone that has not too much income, you have one rental property, but you plan to buy more, you plan to grow it, that is a good candidate for tax planning because with real estate, there's so much write-offs, there's depreciation, there's so many ways to use that even one property to offset your taxes whether it's from your job or from your side business. Um, so it's more about, you know, what are your plans for real estate uh, rather than how much money and dollar amount you're making as to when or who is, you know, planning tax legal, who is that ideal for? That makes perfect sense. And that's interesting to hear that someone in their later years of investing, they've, their problems have only magnified or yeah. they could have maybe cut it off when it wasn't that big of an issue, but now it's going to be that much more expensive or time consuming to fix based on how long it's gone on. So are there any, I guess, basic rules of thumb for beginner investors that you see time and time again, kind of like FAQs or just, you know, questions you get a lot on bigger pockets. I'm sure you get tons of these where people are just, they're off base with their thinking or they're getting maybe some bad advice in the beginning stages. And um, I, again, I, I think the takeaway of this is going to be no matter where you're at, you're at in your, your stage of investing beginner, you should meet with mm -hmm. someone to get consultative advice based on your situation. But are there any general broad stroke themes that you see time and time again, that people are making mistakes and that they could be doing a better job? Yeah, I think, uh, I, you know, one of the most common mistakes that I, or I guess myths that I hear all the time is with respect to tax deductions. Um, you know, cause the the as a real estate investor, um, you're seen in the eyes of the IRS at least that you're a business owner, which means that if you're incurring expenses that relate to your real estate business, you can take a tax write off for it. Um, so I know investors are always really good about, generally really good about tracking direct expenses like interest, property taxes, management fees, but but many investors are not tracking these overhead expenses. So like a car expense, you know, travel, a home office and things like that. So that's the one mistake I see people make is, is not taking those, um, you know, what we consider overhead tax deductions. And one of the reasons that people tell me they don't deduct those is because they don't have a legal entity. So, so there's this, you know, there's this theory that um, I don't have an entity yet. I don't have a business. I don't have an LLC. I don't have a corporation. Therefore, I can't take these deductions because I don't have my real estate business. And that's absolutely incorrect. If you own a rental property in your personal name, that is a real estate business because you are making money as a landlord. Um, so, you know, kind of along the same lines, a lot of people are, are often advised that you have just because you're going to maybe invest in real estate, you have to go out and form an entity. You need an LLC, you need an S-Corp, or maybe you need both, right? Form all of them. And uh, just so you can take the tax deduction. And that's actually incorrect as well. Just because you have an LLC with a company name does not mean all of a sudden you're in the investing business, right? You still have to be able to show what you're doing in real estate. I'm you know, making offers, I have rentals, I'm you know, doing wholesale, you still have to be doing something rather than just have an LLC and start writing off, you know, everything under the sun, right? Mm -hmm. So I think those are the two main ones I see. Um, you know, and again, on the entity side is so important because um, 
once the mistake is made with respect to entities, it takes many, many years to potentially unwind. One of the most common ones we see is um, people putting rental properties inside of corporations, whether it's an S-corp or a C-corporation. Um, there are a lot of really bad tax problems when people put rental properties in corporations um, because your ability to use some of those losses and deductions could be limited. So, you know, if you're ever in doubt, should I put my property in an entity or not? What kind of entity should it be in? Um, definitely something to consult with the tax advisor and maybe also the attorney as well before you make that transition. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally agree with that. And it's, it's interesting to hear you say that. We actually just uh, had uh, a, a highly, I would say, respected and very active Bigger Pockets member um, who's in the insurance space. And we were just kind of going through the scenarios of LLC or entity versus non. Um, he's going to be on in a couple of weeks, but you know, it's different for everyone. But I think there are so many misconceptions with it as far as why you should have one or why you shouldn't have one and what your your, your benefits or protection are versus what they really aren't. And it's interesting to hear you say that. So I guess for most general investors, um, is there a common strategy that you see or you like to see if let's say someone is still in that two to 10 unit space, single family or small multifamily portfolio as far as how they have their entity set up? Yeah. Well, you know, from or a if tax they have one. Yeah, I think from a tax perspective, we generally break it down into two sections. Um, one is rental income, and then the other one is what we consider to be active real estate income. So, um, you know, rental income, I think, is the one that we, we, you and I probably see more frequently. Uh, so that would be, you know, if you have a regular long-term rental or if you're in the short-term Airbnb rental space, um, if you're doing like a BRRRR project by, you know, rehab, refinance, uh, that is a rental at the end of the day, right? You're rehabbing it, but it turns into a rental. So all of those that we just talked about, those are considered rental income. Generally, we like those in an LLC, uh, LLC or partnership. Um, those are the ones that I was saying we don't want inside of a corporation because there could be very, you know, um, uh, negative tax consequences down the road. On the other hand, the active real estate um, income, we do potentially want that inside of a corporation like, you know, S Corp or C Corporation. Examples of active real estate would be more like wholesaling. If you're doing real estate wholesale, if you're flipping, um, if you are a syndicator yourself, right? So you're not investing in syndications, but you are syndicating deals, you are raising money and being paid to be a syndicator. Those are more active real estate. And of course, you know, real, real estate commissions, brokers, realtors, um, those generally um, we would recommend in, in either like a S corp or a C corporation. And the reason for that is to help reduce self-employment taxes. So typically it's going to be two different buckets, you know, one for your long-term hold assets that are rental. And then the other one is more for kind of active real estate you're doing. That makes, that makes total sense. I was saying that's a good answer. And why do you think most people on the front end don't want to meet with someone to get that professional advice? Um, I think it's maybe two things. Well, probably three things, you know, one is, um, cost, 
right? Just to avoid the cost. Um, people starting out investing in real estate is trying to say, okay, well, I don't want to spend too much money. Um, it's, you know, could be expensive talking to CPAs and attorneys and things like that. Um, but I think it's also important to, to, to understand that, um, that there should be a benefit with the cost you're incurring. So if you pay someone to help you with tax planning or asset protection, the goal is that you're going to save more in taxes overall uh, versus what you've paid in fees, right? You may or may not see all the savings immediately in the first year. But let's just say you learned a strategy on how to accelerate your depreciation write-off and that creates, you know, $3,000 more in tax savings. Well, that could be an annual tax savings. So, you know, maybe you pay $3,000 to learn how to save $3,000, but next year you'll save another $3,000. And the following year, maybe you mm -hmm. save $10,000 because you're using the same strategy over and over again. So, um, but yeah, I do think the cost, you know, cost prohibition is one reason. Uh, another one might just be... Um, you know, not knowing, right? Or not knowing that it's important to do those things. We we're sometimes focused on growing our real estate portfolio, right? And so um, something you were saying earlier, not knowing what questions to ask, not knowing that it's even something I needed to do. We always hear about that real estate investing is a, a tax loophole and there's so many tax savings. So we assume we get it naturally because we invest in real estate and we don't think, oh, there's actually things I have to do to take advantage of those tax savings, right? The government is not just automatically saying, okay, yeah, now you don't have to pay any taxes because you invest in real estate. I got that note. <laughs> um, and I, I think the third one might be complexity. Um, taxes is boring. People, a lot of people don't understand it, don't want to understand it. Um, and so that might be another reason, you know, they'd rather slit their wrists than talk to a CPA about these kinds of things. So... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I would agree with all three of those. And you hear each answer, but it just, it's becoming glaringly obvious that you do, if you're, if you're serious about this, um, well, one, the cost may not even be as high as you expect, or if you reach out to someone the right way, there's a lot of people on bigger pockets that are willing to lend advice. And if you do it the right way and you're, you're respectful of people's time, I think you can get a lot of free advice out there. That's, consultative to your situation. Um, legal may be a different story because some lawyers just, they're, they're charging for time, but not all. And, and I've had many conversations with people to your point that they were not too difficult to get in touch with. They were on bigger pockets or they were just referred and they're willing to have a conversation. So it's like they, you can combat those three. If you just maybe go one layer deeper of actually effort and actually thinking about how can I do this? So just on that note to, to kind of tie that up, if someone is out there and they're thinking, all right, I have 10 rentals right now, um, or I have zero and I just, I want to start off on the right foot. I'm serious mm -hmm. about this. Um, I'm just not sure where to go. I mean, no one in my family's a, a real estate investor. I don't really have a ton of in-person friends. I can go on bigger pockets, you know, maybe that's a good way to find someone, but you know what they say about the internet, it's tough to trust and all that. So like, how can someone figure out who is reputable or who, who, they can start with the call to maybe get some advice or consultation? Well, I think, uh, you know, because the bigger pockets is a great resource, right? Just, you know, kind of figuring out who other investors are working with. Um, if you have someone local to you, um, there's meetups that you're networking with, uh, you know, figure out who are the ones out there who, uh, that specialize in real estate. Um, I think that's the key thing is finding a firm uh, or even, you know, it doesn't have to be a firm, it could be a one person CPA who understands real estate. You don't want to be someone's only client doing real estate. You don't want to have to explain to them 
them what's a burr, uh, what is house hacking, right? So, so those are things, you know, if, if you have to explain to them what those things are, uh, odds are they're not going to be a really great fit because they don't even understand the transaction. They have to first understand the transaction to then figure out how is that treated for tax purposes and then talk about planning, right? So I think it's just, you know, also talking with other investors, like, you know, who do you guys use? Do you like it? Uh, what kind of strategies are you guys using? Uh, but I do ultimately think it is important to, for the investor to personally be speaking out or reaching out to a professional, right? Because everyone's situation is going to be a little bit different. Mm -hmm. um, so what works really well with, for your friend may or may not work the best for you. Yep. 100%. And I like that you said that about if they understand or recognize the names of some of the strategies, I forget which episode it was on, but I was just talking to someone about it and we were talking about realtors and we were using the, the, some of the bigger pockets terms. And they said, if, if this person, a realtor who claims they work with investors has never heard of bigger pockets, I immediately delete their phone number. <laughs> Because, and it might be a little different for accounting because, hey, like this is a little bit less, I'd say, um, in whole, you're clearly breaking the mold on that. But typically accounting, I'd say it's not as entrepreneurial, but realtors, like if they're claiming to be an investor friendly realtor, they better know where these investors are getting their information so that they can talk the talk and walk the walk instead of right. just kind of, you know, faking it. So I really, I'm glad <laughs> you said that because I, I think that's a great way to figure out if someone actually knows what they're talking about as far as like what you want to do. If they know what the strategies are and the, the words and the verbiage that you're using, they can understand. Yeah. It's so funny you say that because um, I guess I just took that for granted. You know, we have so many clients that come to us through bigger pockets, you know, like you were saying, newbies to very experienced to, you know, just people kind of doing it part-time for several years. And uh, the one thing that's nice is it works the reverse. I don't have to explain when I use those words, what's the tax benefit of doing a birth strategy, right? You, I mean, you get to take a depreciation, you write off the improvements, the refinance money comes tax-free. And so it's a shorter conversation instead of me saying, okay, if you do a burr, oh, you don't know what that is? Okay, well, first step, you buy it, then, you know, <laughs> um, so it's really great. It's almost like a, a, you know, a different language, right? That, that we're kind of a real estate bigger pockets language that we're yeah. all speaking that we don't have to explain the, these acronyms that we're using. <laughs> 100%. It's like you're speaking the same language. You know, yeah. you, you know what level someone is on based on if they're giving you a blank stare when you say burr or house hack or they're nodding their head and they know that that's a, a strategy that they can use. So like you can gauge people quickly with that. They're like, are you really cold? You keep saying burr. <laughs> that's hilarious. I like that. Okay. That's good. Um, so I thank you for, I, I know that was very like like tactical and kind of micro, but um, I just think it's important for people that aren't sure and they're kind of getting their footing and, and not sure when and if they should be speaking with someone to get consultation. So um, bringing us up to speed on what you're doing now uh, and what your business has grown into. So can you just give us from a high level what happened next and um, kind of bring us up to speed on where you're at today with the investing and the clients you work with? Yeah. So we, um, so, you know, like I said, we, we just continue to specialize in real estate over the years and, you know, got involved in bigger pockets. We do a lot of teaching locally, 
at the real estate clubs. And then we also um, got into a lot of teaching nationally uh, with respect to self-directed investing. So we have clients who, you know, maybe still at work at a job, but want to access the retirement money for real estate um, or have left their employer and want to access retirement money for real estate. Um, so we, you know, we've we done a lot of teaching along those lines. And uh, so we're fortunate we, you know, our firm has grown. We now have uh, about 12 to 13 people, including myself in the firm. So it's still a fairly small firm and we, we plan to keep it that way um, you know, to, to an extent where we can still know the names and kind of the, the general profiles of all of our clients. Um, so we don't have any plans to become, you know, kind of like a large national firm or anything like that. Um, so yeah, we, you know, we have most of our clients are, are many of them are from bigger pockets or reading the books and things like that. And, um, you know, investment wise, we, you know, just kind of continue to add on, you know, surely, but slowly, depending on the market area, I think uh, with coronavirus, uh, maybe it'll become a, a much better time to make more investments. You know, the market has been very hot the last two years, so it's been a little bit more difficult to find really great deals, uh, you know, where, where we're looking. But yeah, we see this, you know, whole coronavirus kind of from an investment perspective as an opportunity uh, to get back into the deal, you know, more deal flow. And I think a lot of our investor clients are, you know, kind of taking that position. But we'll see when awesome, everything yeah. opens back up. <laughs> Shopping yeah. time, maybe. <laughs> going to be a lot of uh, a lot of things that I think there's going to be a rush for, and then it's going to be very interesting, especially on the the real estate side of how all these stimulus and challenges counteract each other. Where there are some real challenges going on, there is some stimulus helping, but it's it. I think the consensus is, in general, there should be some opportunity and should be some added uh, inventory in parts for investors. It seems like. Yeah, and I think, you know, just in, in, in uh, you and I were chatting earlier about people who, um, you know, maybe are unsure, you know, they're working full time, but maybe want to dabble in real estate or how to make the transition. I think we'll probably see a lot of that this year with coronavirus, a lot of people being furloughed or laid off or work time reduced. If you're someone who was interested in real estate investing, this is a good time, right? This is a good time. Educate yourself on the strategies. If you happen to not be working at the end of all this, maybe that is a natural transition to give yourself some time to get into real estate. Um, you know, I often talk to clients and they say, well, you know, I, I always ask people kind of what's your short term and long term goal. And sometimes people will tell me, well, my job, I don't like my job, but it pays well. And I think uh, I'm going to give myself 10 years to stop working. I'm going to buy two rentals or four rentals a year. In 10 years, I'll replace my income and stop working. Um, in reality, though, because we have a lot of clients who've actually made that transition, what I typically see from my clients is, uh, although that's the original plan, there are so many other ways to make money in real estate, right, that, um, you know, buy a couple rentals, you trade up to larger properties, buy a couple rentals, you start partnering with other people, then maybe you start syndicating deals and investing the money of your friends and colleagues. Uh, so the reality is generally it's not going to be a five to 10 year mark. Generally, it's going to be a much shorter timeline if you're taking advantage and really working on the real estate business. So, mm -hmm. so we don't always have to say, well, let's wait until we buy X number of properties just to replace it with pure cash flow. Because in the meantime, you probably make a lot of other money from real estate through different types of transactions, right? That's, that's kind of more practically how it all works out. 100%. And very different than other entrepreneurial ventures. It seems like real estate, you can make those, 
I'd say leaps that you might not be able to take with other businesses that have such a clear cut framework. Like there are many paths and each of them have a clear cut framework or proven strategy that works that you can just get really good at and keep adding and working on that strategy. So it's really interesting to hear you say that, that most timelines get cut down or they can be cut down. Um, I sort of cringe when I hear people say, I want to do like the 10 or 15 year strategy of buying a house a year for 10 or 15 years. One, cause I'm like, that you're going to, you're going to hate your life for 15 years. Like yeah. that's just pain. And, and, and plus buying a house a year I, in most markets, I think is still not going to get you financially free, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think you need to, you need to get bigger within reason. But anyway, um, just want to be conscious of your time. Yeah. Uh, before we move to the show wind down, I just had one question. It was a, um, an email in question and I I've gotten this, I don't know why more lately, maybe because of COVID and a lot of people are just home trying to figure out how to invest or W2. Can you just talk to from a high level, uh, what a self-directed IRA is or a self-directed re retirement fund is like how you would explain it in the most simple terms and how someone can use it to invest? Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, I love the topic of self-directed investing. We've taught two, three hours classes just on that by itself. So um, most Americans understand that with retirement money, whether it's 401ks, IRAs, Roth IRAs, uh, that, that we can use that to invest in the stock market, stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. Um, the only difference with regular retirement accounts and self-directed retirement accounts is in a self-directed retirement account, you can use that for things outside of real estate. Specifically, what, what you and I talk about probably is going to be rental properties, rental properties, uh, real estate notes, tax liens, those kinds of things. And um, so, so, so it's all the same roles, you know, making contributions, taking money out, but essentially it's a way for you to access that retirement money and use it for real estate properties without taking a distribution and paying taxes and penalties on that. Now, a question I get all the time is, okay, my money, my IRA or my 401k at work is with Fidelity. Fidelity tells me I can do self-directed. So can I go ahead and do that? And the answer is no. When Fidelity or any of those similar brokerage firms, when they tell you you can do self-directed, what they mean is you can choose which stocks, bonds, and mutual funds you can invest in. That's what they're talking about. What we're talking about is not a portfolio to choose from, but taking the money into a different custodian. And that custodian doesn't have things for you to choose from because the world is your choice. You can say, I want to buy property on Main Street or I want a prop uh, property in Ohio. And you get to choose which rental properties you want to invest in. So the, you know, the, the, the easiest way to do it is to move money from, you know, where it currently is Fidelity T. Rowe Price into a self-directed custodian account like, uh, you know, you direct IRA services, Pensco, Equity Trust. There's so many of them out there now. Um, so that's really the only difference is just taking money that's otherwise in the stock market, but using it for real estate purposes. Awesome. That was a great definition and explanation. So that's a good jumping off point. There's probably a lot more there and we'll link your teachings and the books and, and all that. So um, yeah, thank you for that though. Are you ready for uh, just some rapid fire wind down questions? Yes, I think so. Okay. They're not too bad. <laughs> I'm no, scared. No, no, they're not too bad. Um, so networking is such a common thrown around term. You hear it on, on podcasts and how important it is. Um, is there any, any specific way that you prefer to actively network or surround yourself with the right types of people to make sure you're always just being the average of the top five? Uh, things I would like to do. Yeah. I mean, I try to, you know, network, um, 
online and locally as much as possible. Uh, for me, uh, networking is is really just a learning process. You know, like I said, I think no matter how many years you've been investing or doing taxes, there's always so much to learn. So I have a network of people that I go to for for tax things. You know, like the technical, more boring tax stuff. Uh, and then I have a network of people I go to more for like you know business types of things. And then obviously the real estate. You know, a lot of local real estate club investors um, like to pick their brain. I I love what you said earlier about sometimes just getting free advice, uh, even whether it's online. Or in person, um, you know, just really getting to know people. People are always willing to share a lot of great things that they know, um, you know, coming from this thought of abundance. So, um, so yeah, I think it's, you know, just getting mm -hmm. to know more people that you can learn from. Yep, absolutely. Um, I know COVID might have thrown a lot of people's normal schedules. Kids are home, kind of talked about that a little before, but typically is there a way that you like to manage your time or plan your weeks or plan your days on a day-to-day -day basis? Um, gosh, I would like to, but I can't. <laughs> <laughs> um, cause I actually don't control my work calendar. Um, so, so clients, um, no, we work in a way where I just have a live link. And so the clients can click on it anytime to schedule with me. Mm -hmm. Um, but I do block off time every day to do what I consider to be, uh, you know, kind of more business focused things that I know I have to do. You know, for example, uh, talking to you today, it's something that's been blocked off for a while. Um, so, so things that I, you know, it's growing the business or helping me to learn more. Those are things that I, I have certain times of the day that's blocked off but yeah other than that i i wish i had more control <laughs> no no I, but that's that's it seems like even within that like using the calendar and using a calendar link for people to book time with you that even right there is a is a tool or a method that i think could be helpful and it just helps with scheduling and stuff and then Sounds like you have time for deep work. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. It was it was just difficult to you know if you email me say when can we talk and I said okay well here's five you know five times and you said oh that's not gonna work and I email you five more so okay just use this link and then yeah. you and I just you know <laughs> it'll work out. <laughs> so much easier. That's one of my favorite tools of 2019 and 2020. It's made a huge difference. So really cool. Um, seems like you are technically savvy. You have uh, uh, pretty good systems in place and you have you know a business or multiple businesses. So with that, are there any systems or apps or CRMs or tools that you use on a day-to-day -day basis, you either have on your phone or up on your screens at most of the time that you use to help run your businesses? Um, yeah, I mean, the, so the, the project management software that we use is called uh, Office Tools. Um, so it's, it's not, uh, it's somewhat specific to kind of real estate and legal businesses. So I don't know whether that really applies to real estate. Um, something that's more general actually, um, it, you know, in terms of organization is actually my calendar. So um, when I have something to do, uh, I don't really have a to-do list. I like to just put it on the calendar directly. So I know, okay, you know, when the time comes up, that's when I'm going to do it. So I think for me, that's worked out well, um, instead of having lists and then just, you know, keeping that list on the side of my desk for months and months. Um, it's much more efficient for me if I actually put it on the calendar. So I know at that time, that's what I get to do. <laughs> 100%. Okay, cool. Totally, totally agree with that. Um, what are your favorite ways to stay educated and what platforms and any specific people you follow on those platforms? 
Uh, so there's a guy by the name of Bruce Norris uh, that I follow quite a bit. Um, he's an investor uh, in California, but he also has uh, real estate kind of all over the U.S. He does a lot of market prediction stuff in terms of, uh, you know, how does interest rate impact the real estate market? What is the government doing that's impacting real estate? So I'm kind of a, although I'm a CPA, I, I am kind of a econ nerd. I really love all the, uh, you know, I don't know, just ec how economics impacts behavior and market and things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's something um, that, you know, that I follow quite a bit. Um, what else do I, where do I learn? I, I think I learn from all kinds of people. Um, you know, it, it's, uh, I'm on bigger pockets quite often, just learning from other investors. I learn a lot from other CPAs too, uh, whether it's on bigger pockets or, you know, other mentors of mine in the past. So, um, yeah, lots of, it's funny because, you know, when, when COVID first happened, I mean, you probably heard about this. Everyone was binge watching, um, Tiger King right? Tiger King. So my friends are all telling me, you got to watch it. You got to watch it. I was like, I can't because I'm binge watching all these uh, CARES Act tax changes from the government and from other CPAs and just, you know, binge watching so many of those PowerPoint webinars and stuff like that. So it's <laughs> <That's> hilarious. <laughs> you were binging other stuff. No, no yeah. time for Tiger King. Yeah, exactly. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's cool. Um, any, uh, any, people that specifically help you as far as like leverage or an assistant or anything with tasks that um, can, you can help get moved off your plate? Yeah, I, I'm, that's such a great question because that is something that, um, that uh, Matt, my husband and I go through every year. So we look, you know, because again, everything's on my calendar. So we look at the calendar and say, okay, what's taking, how much of our time is taken up by what kind of tasks? Uh, and then we always look at the tasks and say, okay, which of these could be delegated? Uh, so we have the two Ds, delegate or delete. You know, do I need to continue doing this? Is this really <laughs> necessary? Um, and then delegate is something that I don't need to do. And we go through this process uh, with everyone in our firm. So after tax season every year, um, you know, everybody kind of does the same thing. And, you know, we have the team say, okay, what, what are you doing that's really redundant, you know, and what's something you're doing that you don't want to do, you think someone maybe more entry level could do. So yeah, I would say, um, I mean, everybody helps me, you know, from everybody in my office to my mom and my in-law helping with the kids. So yeah, I kind of rely on the whole village here to, <laughs> to make things run Love while that. I run away. <laughs> Well, you can, you can run away into the room to do the podcast. So exactly. Awesome. Exactly. I don't know if you heard earlier, um, one of my, my baby was crying outside and like, I can't get them to stop, but oh, well, there's two doors between me and them, but I still heard it. So they find a way. That's great. Um, what's next for you in 2020 and beyond? Oh my gosh, that's such a good question. Uh, like I said, I'm interested to see how the real estate market goes so we can do more acquisitions. Um, you know, sold uh, several properties about a year and a half ago when, when I, I felt like it was the peak of the market. So ready to kind nice. of, you know, redeploy that. I, I feel a little bit anxious when we sit on cash. Um, just, I'm so used to investing in real estate. So I feel a little anxious about having cash. So I'm, you know, anxious to get the money back working. Hopefully that will be, you know, what, what we see in the market. Um, yeah. but yeah, lots of changes with, you know, the, the cares act and, and everything. Um, so excited to kind of, you know, get back out there and, you know, even though we work the same remotely, but, you know, happy to go back to work in the office where I can see my coworkers. <laughs> 100%. I know it's so many things taken for granted, but I can totally relate to that thing about a little anxious sitting on cash. Like even now I've refied my properties getting ready for whatever is to come. And it's like, I'm, I'm already getting anxious just sitting on it because I've been like 
to your point, programmed to just, I want to invest and I want to have it out there working, you know? So right, right, um, right. I, I totally hear you on that. <laughs> uh, any, any hobbies or fun stuff when you're not doing real estate, random interests, anything like that? Random interest. Uh, so my hobby, I would say, well, my hobby is actually eating. Uh, that is, and that's also my interest. Love eating. I'm a foodie. Um, so, so, so I do uh, end up, you know, cooking quite a bit, testing recipes. I don't know if it's because I love doing that part or if I just love eating. So I'm forced to do that, especially now with, you know, with the COVID-19, we have to stay at home. So yeah. a lot more time to, to do uh, more cooking kind of things. <laughs> Got it. 100%. That's a great one. I like that. And binge watching tax changes. I guess that's my other hobby in the meantime. <laughs> that's great. Love that. Um, where can people learn more about you? Uh, find your books, find your blog, find your podcast episodes and just get in touch. Yeah. Um, so yeah, anyone who was interested in reading our book, um, it's the t uh, tax saving strategies for the savvy real estate investor. I'm sorry, that's a very long name. Uh, so yeah, you can look up tax strategies, Amanda Hahn on either bigger pockets or on Amazon. And, uh, so, so we wrote the book to kind of, um, uh, I wrote it in a um, kind of a storybook style, uh, you know, kind of like the chicken soup for the soul with different stories about what clients did that worked or didn't work. Um, and then we came out with an advanced version of that. It's also on bigger pockets. Um, but the best place to um, reach me or for additional tax updates and information is actually just our website. Uh, and that's www.keystonecpa.com. And uh, it's K-E-Y-S-T-O-N-E-C-P-A.com. Okay. Awesome. We will link to all that. And, uh, you have tons of content on there and it's probably the, the, I would say most up to date, especially in such a fluid changing situation. It seems like every week there's new information and, uh, you heard it here. She's watching the tax reform updates instead of tiger King. So she's going to be up to date on what's going on. So this is the place you want to get your information. people. Yeah, it's funny because yeah, I wrote a couple um, uh, bigger pockets asked me to write a couple of tax updates when it was changing. And um, I mean, literally tax changes are happening, you know, every day throughout the day. And so I sent this to Jessa, who, you know, takes care of all the articles out at bigger pockets. I felt so bad because in one day I had to email her three times. I said, I'm sorry, I need to change this. And I'm sorry, you need to republish. Just keep changing the numbers and the dates and all that. So when the IRS changes stuff, then we change our stuff and then Bigger Pockets changes it. Um, so yeah, check those out. <laughs> Might be different by the time you get on it later today. <laughs> that is so interesting. And there's probably well, never been anything like it, but everything is changing yeah. by the day. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. Um, second to last question, Amanda. A lot of the audience, as you know, millennial investors, beginner investors, what advice would you give to yourself if you were starting out today knowing exactly what you know now? Oh my gosh. Um, I would say, you know, use uh, time and age to your advantage. You know, I love talking. So was it yesterday, Thursday, I talked to a client who was 29 years old and, uh, and already has four rentals in the process of buying one more. Uh, I just tell him I love that. You know, I wish I would have done it uh, when I was, you know, even younger than, than I was at the time. So, um, so yeah, I think, you know, just the sooner you start investing in real estate, the better you will be in terms of, you know, building your net worth. And, you know, just imagine being able to stop working and retire much earlier uh, and not have to be tied to a job when you have kids, you know, when you're mm -hmm. married, that you have the freedom to travel and 
to spend time with your kids, maybe coach soccer, coach baseball. Uh, those are those things are priceless, right? So the earlier you start, um, the better you know set you will be when the time comes. One hundred percent. That's a great answer. Uh, last question of the show, Amanda. The concept of our group, the mantra really is to be value add before value ask. Um, so. Is there anything right now that you are either working on, you could use help with, you're stuck on, you'd like help getting support for or putting the word out of that if someone reached out to try to bring you some value with, even if they were a beginner, that they'd be starting the relationship off on the right foot and they'd be getting things started the right way by trying to bring value? Huh, that is a good question. Um, you know, I am, I'm always looking to, learn from other investors. So I do have clients who are involved in various types of, you know, creative real estate things. But yeah, if anyone is doing any uh, creative real estate or ways to uh, turn a property into highest and best use. I'm definitely interested in hearing those kinds of stories uh, from, from two perspectives, one from a personal perspective. So I can learn to see if that applies in my situation and another, just for me to see, are there uh, complementary tax strategies uh, associated with it? You know, I just talked to a client yesterday who said, well, there are um, their short-term rentals. They can't do Airbnb anymore, but they're renting it out to uh, uh, traveling nurses. So for, you know, because nurses are now traveling to various parts, you know, like New York. And so, so they have housing that's set up to accommodate these traveling nurses. I thought, well, that was, you know, that's very interesting. So I'm always uh, interested in hearing those kinds of stories, like unique things that people are doing with rental properties. 100%. Yep, absolutely. And I'm just going to throw in one other one. Guys, if you help support or promote or share out Amanda stuff, I know, especially just even having a podcast, but it's, it's always a great way to support someone's stuff as, as a way to show a gratitude and a thanks for what they're doing. And if you're going to reach out, it's a nice way to definitely um, move the ball a little bit. So Amanda, I just want to say thank you for coming on. Thank you for putting out all the content that you do, educating people, um, helping young investors get started and uh, watching those stimulus reviews instead of Tiger King, really <laughs> just staying up to date. I mean, that's the moral of the story. So um, before we jump, any, any parting or last word call to action to anyone uh, out there? Oh man. Well, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. It's been so much fun chatting with you and allowing me to get away from my family <laughs> during this quarantine. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I just, you know, I, like I said, I think it's, uh, I just want to encourage people, you know, to take action. I think it's one thing to learn about things. It's, uh, it's a whole different thing to do it. Uh, it, you, it may not be a home run hit your first time, but you know, if you've learned enough, it's time to take action and, uh, you know, just uh, really excited to be here to, you know, try to help encourage people to, uh, whether start or exponentially grow their real estate investing. So thanks for having me. Awesome. Amanda, thank you so much. Best of luck in 2020 and beyond. Thank you, you too. Hey, you millennial millionaire. Do you want more? Then head to the Millennial Millionaires Through Real Estate Facebook group, where there are tons of step-by-step walkthroughs, tools, templates, and free networking to help you achieve financial freedom through real estate. And if you want Jonathan to help you personally reach your goals, then feel free to set up a one-on-one -on -one call in the link below or message him on any social media platform and apply to, well, work with Jonathan.